0: and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Ken is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be with you, we are, man. You are there in Michigan? I am. And what, if people visit, like, your facebook your church website it's a picturesque church Aww. like i i like i like looking at the picture of church in your community beautiful beautiful photography documenting what's going on there. it
1: looks beautiful in the snow
0: and this weekend you'll this is the last sunday after epiphany right yeah
1: we're wrapping up that part of the the calendar
0: and that so soon we'll be moving right into lent
1: sacred time
0: sacred time and our first reading is Second Corinthians or Second Kings rather, two, yeah, one through twelve. And here we've got the handing off of the mantle, so to speak. We got Elijah. This is why this story, I guess, is why many people on Passover evenings leave a spot open for Elijah because mm. he's taken up, and Elisha is left in his wake. Yes.
1: I, I think, um, you know, we, we mark time differently. Um, as Christians, we don't look to New Year's or uh, Memorial Day or Labor Day or, you know.
0: Or, uh, or the Super Bowl, because no one. Independence like, Day, Super Bowl. That, that, that was nobody's biggest liturgical event yesterday. Speaking that of is, which, the that, lectionary, the the lectionary predicted
1: the win yesterday, you know, if if people were paying attention.
0: <laughs> Rise up with wings like eagles, like last week. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but that, this, there's uh there's a, it,
0: the cars were turned over last night. Somebody stole an ostrich from the zoo.
1: Oh my! I I saw some of it. I was like, you know, and you were telling us that it was going to happen like that. Whether they oh, want oh or Oh yeah!
0: Lost. Oh yeah! Oh yeah!
1: But you know, marking sacred time. You know, we Independence Day. These things have a dimension in our life. But the the sacred calendar. Um, you know, starting with Advent, Christmas, uh, to Epiphany, Lent, uh, Easter. Uh, we we mark time by the life of Christ. Um we as Christ followers enter into his life and keep our days by uh his days. And and so I think this this day really um transfiguration is is so important. It's the final Sunday of Epiphany, uh, but we're also looking at the transfiguration. And uh it, it's an important moment in the life of Christ and and, and in the this old testament text is um you know, a uh, it's suffused with transfiguration as well.
0: It's a big week for Elijah. I think yeah. it's the only time the electioner he shows up twice. Right, like he shows <laughs> up, and then he shows up literally, and not just reference, shows he, up. He, in he sure country. does, and he shows up here uh, as his parting, kind of uh, his parting words, his parting shots, his parting. You know, he's handing off the 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 role of prophet to Elisha, who previously he found. Like the disciples, he finds kind of uh, working a plow, his family. You know, he's just mm-hmm. going about his business, and receives the call to be a prophet.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, he uh, he has three opportunities to to leave him behind, but uh, apparently, uh, just like G- uh, Jesus was for Peter, Elijah had the words of life, and Elisha wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to leave him.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting too, because you have this, uh, Peter Lighthart in his commentary on Kings points out some fascinating tip a lot.
1: I, I, I didn't think much about this because I knew you were going to read from Lighthart's uh, commentary. Dude, oh, oh, this so. is,
0: I love, if, I mean, this commentary, it's on one, first and second Kings. And I mean, if you're listening, it, it's well worth buying it just for this Sunday. But I mean, it, it's a, I mean, the foreground of it, he thinks that like Kings is, is a theology for divided people of God, a divided church, and and has great explanation yes. how the gospel works in in church divisions. So it's a beautiful commentary, but he says that that Elijah is is a type of John the Baptist, certainly, and the transitions from Elijah to Elisha foreshadows the succession from John to Jesus. Which is, I mean, uh, that's one of the more obvious ones. Like John, Elijah is a lone voice in the wilderness. But Elisha is surrounded by disciples. Jesus' ministry is a ministry of life-giving miracles, cleansing lepers, raising dead sons and restoring them to their mothers, relieving distress. Uh. Similarly, Elisha raises the dead in 2 Kings 4, provides a meal for 100 men uh. and 20 loaves of barley bread, cleanses a leper on the surface of things. Elijah, Elisha is a type of Jesus. But this is interesting. He says the topology works the other way as well. Elijah is a type of Jesus himself, and Elisha of the disciples who continued Jesus' ministry uh. after his ascension. Elisha first appears plowing a field, but he leaves home and family, like the disciples of Jesus, who leave their fishing boats and tax booths to follow him. At the beginning of Second of Kings to Elisha doggedly follows his master, refusing to stay behind until Elijah is taken from him in a whirlwind. Because he follows Elijah... Elisha becomes like his master, and after Elijah departs, he immediately begins to replicate his ministry. Having received the promised double portion of Elijah's spirit, Elisha wow. is a, quote, reincarnation or reanimation, end quote, of Elijah. As the church is the body of Christ and the spirit of Jesus, the sons of the prophets recognize the family resemblance between Elisha and his predecessor, just as the Jews perceive the courage of Peter and the apostles and remember they have been with Jesus.
1: Wow. That's a that's a beautiful um that, that's exactly the way we're supposed to read the Old Testament. And and what's what's really beautiful um uh that's going on there is and I would just say it a little more plainly um is is the church is the continuing Incarnation of christ um in the world uh you know um, i don't think we have to um you know say reincarnation it, it is an ongoing uh incarnation of the body of Christ in the world uh by the spirit um falling uh on the disciples uh and so yeah power i mean wow great
0: yeah and that's it's a beautiful uh story there and and you know it's a touching story too that you have the you know this you know what what may i do you know um before i'm taken f- from you like the sense in which for the ministry to yeah. for the blessing, like it well, this is like where jesus has to go yeah that the spirit may come so there has to be a, a passing away
1: it's reminiscent of the last supper right i mean uh, you know the discourse where he says you know i i'm going to send um you know my spirit um and uh yeah where where I go, you can't go, but I'm preparing a place for you. And uh and, and, and yet here we are and we have uh we have ongoing work to do. And uh it's it's really good. I have some things to say about um you know, his being caught up into heaven in the chariots of fire, but I I'm gonna reserve that to the gospel text.
0: Second Corinthians, Paul, chapter four, and here Paul is. It's interesting because Paul's kind of on the defensive in, in this letter a lot, where people are challenging his ministry, and he says, "Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing." It's interesting because the reason they're accusing his gospel of being veiled is veiled to us. <laughs> I mean, we could make some guesses at it, you know, from First Corinthians and some other places, but but it, it's interesting that that he's it, it, this is you know I think of these passages where Calvin's like, well, see, you know, you can tell even though Calvin says you shouldn't do stuff like this, like, well, the people that don't receive it, they're the reprobate or whatever. <laughs> but I don't think Paul's saying that. I mean, I think Paul's there's something deeper here that 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 somehow the people are perishing. It's veiled. Right uh yeah, the people who are living are living i guess through seeing and hearing the gospel of christ dying
1: i, I think and of course i i I have a tendency to do this is i'm I'm thinking of of Moses, and of course i this is the context i mean um uh, that that Paul directly is dealing with is the the veiling of moses' face um you know they do not see. Um, who God is in Jesus Christ, and when we do not see God as revealed in Jesus, we'll perish. Um, And uh, Paul has had had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ, uh, with the uncreated light of heaven shining from his face. And um, uh, just like Moses, who had had a similar encounter uh, with what the Orthodox call the uncreated light, there's this luminescence that comes, um, and uh, his face was so bright that they had to um, put a veil. Um, and Paul goes to say, on to say that you know these Old Testament scriptures are veiled um, to certain readers um, because they have not understood the full revelation of God that comes to us in the flesh of Jesus, the Word. Uh, of God, the Son of God, the one who speaks all things into being, has now been revealed in the flesh of Jesus. Uh, so I think we, when we read that line about perishing, in light of all of that, uh, it has definitely a different meaning than um, someone like um, Calvin uh, brings to the text.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that there and there's something—I mean, it's interesting. So what does Aaron A S say, the, the glory of God— is man fully alive and yet the paradox is that mm. we live through the death of Christ and resurrection but you know there's no re- resurrection without the death of of Christ and so it's interesting you know I think of this Elizabeth Elliot story where she's in New Zealand or something and she sees the this shepherd dipping a sheep in this sort of you know, like I'm sure it smelled awful. This kind of shampoo, which would keep ticks and all these mites off it, but the sheep looked miserable uh. as it was being dipped in it. And she said, at that point, the shepherd was saving the sheep, but the sheep looked like it thought the sh- the shepherd was trying to kill it. And so it's interesting that often, uh. like it seems that like the Corinthians have been seduced by someone that by people that are preaching something that seems very sweet and life giving, and actually they don't realize it's dealing death. To them. It's like it's like the it's like the uh. It Bill was Bill Marseille in uh the uh, in religious when he's talking to the Cuban guy who thinks he's Jesus Christ. He's like, There's no sin anymore. No devil. He's like, This religion sounds great. It's like it's like the diet that says uh, you can eat anything you want. You don't lose any weight, but it feels great. <laughs> yeah. So like what's happening is at first the cross of Christ, because it dismantles human apotheosis and our own sense of, you know, our independence and our own projects and realities. It, it's disorient. It feels, it, it. and it does kill us in some ways, but to make alive.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, we, <laughs> I, I, I do think that we struggle. I, I, I spent some time reading Athanasius and, um, the beginning of January and, uh, he's talking about um you know having to do away with how the cross does away with these idols and false gods that the pagans worship and uh that it's there to defeat the dark powers and uh but he really spends a lot of time on idols and it occurred to me that over the centuries that um w- while the pagan gods have disappeared we don't we're not dealing with Egyptian and Roman and Greek and Babylonian and Persian gods Christians have fashioned and Fabricated many idols uh, that they call Jesus and that they call Christ that have, um, in some cases, very little to do with the with the Word of God made flesh, who's revealed to us in the Gospel um, and in the in the in the Apostolic witness. So um, and uh, frankly revealed within the the life of the Church by the Spirit, not just by not in words but in uh, rituals and practices and so forth. And uh, that that really, one of that our mission in this moment is to take a sledgehammer to these idols um, and begin to preach um, this Christ that the that people like Paul encountered, Uh, and 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 that's what's going to bring transformation, and and that's what's going to keep people from perishing. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I I think Tim Keller says something like that, that: that idolatry is when humans deem to put something, including themselves. On the place only on the throne, you know, only God deserves to sit on, and the atonement is the place where God dwells, where idolaters deserve to dwell. You know, as the Judge, Judge in our place.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, we have these projections um, of of God that end up sounding and looking a lot like us. Um, and, uh, and, and when when there's been a, a perfect revealing, the the image of the invisible God um, has been made manifest to us in the flesh of Jesus. So. We'd have to get back to that and that kind of preaching and proclamation, because uh, that's what truly takes the veil off the nations, and that's what that's what the gospel's supposed to be doing—the veil of death, as Paul describes it.
0: He Of Jesus, let's go to the Gospels where Jesus is really yeah, where Jesus is lit up here. I mean, literally, right? This is the Transfiguration story. Yeah. Here we've got Peter, James, and John in Mark nine. This follows Peter's confession, right? Climactic point in all the Gospels in many ways, or at least in the Synoptics. And he's transfigured before them; become, his clothes become dazzling white, as such as no one on earth could bleach them. Not even. Not even OxyClean, which Mm. is the secret. I'm great at laundry, and I get my whites out with OxyClean, but not even OxyClean can make it this way. Um, And then, you know, Elijah and Moses come. They're talking with Jesus. Peter thinks it's good. He wants to make some tents. Three, you know, one for each of of them, Moses, Jesus, and Elijah. And then this cloud... they're terrified. It's funny because he didn't know what to say "For, you know, for they were terrified. It's like, all right, why don't we make tents? You know, It's like you talk nervously. Um, then a cloud overshadows them. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. You know, first in the baptism of Jesus, Mark, it's with him while well, pleased. Right now it's listen to him. And then suddenly they looked around and they yeah. saw no one with him anymore, but only Jesus. Um, and he said, don't tell anybody until after the son of man is risen from the dead.
1: Yes, it, it's a remarkable moment. And um, what what's uh, what's really interesting are the persons that are present with Jesus, and I think there are things that we um, that, that are so plain that we overlook. I mean, people talk about Moses representing the law and Elijah rep- representing the prophets, and I think that's so true. But the fact is, here are two persons who we know uh, to be dead or to no longer be living in the world uh, as we know it and here they are embodied talking to Jesus not after not, not after the the resurrection of Christ um not be not after his crucifixion but before um the disciples see three people talking to each other you have to have tongues to be able to talk you know we, we don't have any experience of people being able to like um Communicate uh, without lips. Um, These are actual bodies that are before them, Um, and uh, what what it says to me is that that here, well before the crucifixion and resurrection, in the place where God dwells outside of time, uh, persons continue to exist um, that are in God, and I think that's a really beautiful thing.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, and it's interesting too because you know every, I mean, there's probably this association with the Feast of Tabernacles here, like, time-wise. And it's interesting because every— ben- Benedict XVI talks about this, I think, in the Spirit of Liturgy and his Jesus books. He says that every kind of uh, uh, ancient Jewish feast has, like, three components. First, there's something that's something borrowed from a nature religion, right, Th- that is cyclical, you know, with the seasons and part of harvesting or, you know, part of the natural cycle. Then this gets sort of transformed into something that is commemorates God's saving act in history, right? So there's a th- it goes from this general eternal cycle thing to something really in history. Then it's also not just looking backwards, but then the remembrance becomes hope for definitive redemption, hope for not lo- no longer continually being being on the way. Mm. And no so doubt. This, uh, this scholar who one of the scholars he's quoting uh, uh, Daniel Liu. Jean Delaniu, the Bible and liturgy yep. he Jean. Them, he says that the Lord has pitched his the tent of his body among us and has thus inaugurated the Messianic Age. Following this line of thought, Gregory of Nyssa reflect on the connection between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Incarnation in a magnificent text. He says that the Feast of Tabernacles, though constantly celebrated, remained unfulfilled. For the true feast of tabernacles had not yet come, according to the word of the prophet, however, in allusion to Psalm 118. God according to the word prophet, however, God, the Lord of all things, has revealed Himself to us in order to complete the construction of the tabernacle of our ruined habitation, human nature. Mm-hmm. But then I think that it's interesting because Benedict notes that that this immediate dismissal of like the the thing vanishing and saying don't say anything until after the resurrection is he says basically Jesus is telling him the messianic age can't circumvent the cross, and you know it's it's only. It's only mm-hmm. It's only cross to glory, oh, right. like you know we constantly like Luther points out, we always want the theology of glory, <laughs> which, without the cross of Christ, becomes yes, human yeah. apotheosis in our own ruin, like at the Tower of Babylon, so this inextricably links the the god's the the God's glory, which what did Edward say grace is, but glory begun, glory is but grace perfected, uh or grace finished, like but the, that glory never comes outside of uh the crucifixion,
1: yeah. And, and this transfigured Christ, uh, this revelation, this unveiling, um, it, it, what's so beautiful about it, it I, I talked about it sort of happening before crucifixion, resurrection, but I, I think what's actually happening is this is a revelation of, of the end, right, of the resurrected, the, it's an unveiling of the transfiguration, so, I mean, excuse me, it's an it's a unveiling of the resur- crucified and resurrected, uh, Lord um, dwelling with people like Moses uh, and Elijah, and what are they talking about? What are they using these lips that they have to discuss? Well, we know uh, from from the other gospel accounts that they're talking about the crucifixion. It says about his departure, which he will accomplish at Jerusalem. So the conversation between the three of them is about crucifixion, and in the midst of all that, in the ordinariness of of human flesh. On this ordinary mountain, the glory of God's being revealed, and it, it takes us back to Moses, um, to the, uh, the the giving of the law, and uh, and it takes us back to Elijah in this moment where he's caught up uh, in the chariots. And there's something about being in the presence of God. Something about this ordinary world when God is. It has this world has this capacity to be absolutely luminescent with the glory of God. Um, At any moment and any time where God decides to unveil the glory that lies behind this creation of his Um, with Moses, with Elijah and and here with Jesus. And I, I do think it's significant that finally the voice from heaven says, here's my son. Listen to him. And now Moses and Elijah are no longer there. It's just Jesus. He's the embodiment of the law. He's the embodiment of the prophets. Listen to him. And and and, and there's a sense where, G, where, where now Jesus is revealed as the word made flesh, the law and the prophets uh made flesh uh for us. And 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 we're supposed to and we're supposed to understand the law and we're supposed to understand the prophets, which are sacred sacrificial love. That's what the law is about sacred sacrificial love that's what the message of the prophets is about and Jesus is the embodiment of that
0: yeah and i think so often when i love that word the luminescence like when the light appears often we either on one hand just deny that it's there right like or we try to contain it let's build a shelter here and stay here and it, instead of just receiving it with as a grace with gratitude and then continuing to follow on the way um
1: and and it's and and it's interesting to think about what created light does right it's like today we have this magnificent winter day we had a snowstorm yesterday that the sky is almost entirely clear there's the snow on the ground the light from the sun is bright and it's reflecting off the ground and everything looks different than it does when there's a cloud cover right and everything definitely looks different than when it's pitch dark at night you see things differently. There's th- things that are unveiled. There's things that were hidden in the darkness, and now, especially on a day like today, that you can see vividly. And I think um, all of these instances with the law, with uh, with Elijah and the the, the chariots of fire, uh, which I can I mean can never say that without thinking of the Vangelis uh, track from from that great film. And this moment. Is um that there's something about uncreated light. There's uncreated light, the orthodox call uncreated light that's appeared, that helps us to see things that the created light doesn't make visible. And um and uh the the revelation that that sacred sacrificial love is what holds everything together. Um and he's standing before you. This is this is what it means to lay down your life for the life of the world that you love is glory.
0: Ken, I pray that people see that white, that one who is luminescence in your church on Sunday through the proclamation and all across uh, the world. Thanks for doing this. Amen. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, it's always great to be with you, Scott.
0: Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media all of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground thanks to ken for being on the podcast and thank you again for listening and until next time friends fare thee well